Welcome to the Lion's Roar Dharma Center podcast from Dona Darge Temple. This public talk by Lama Yeshe Jinpa was recorded during a regularly scheduled Sunday morning service. So, uh, welcome. Good to see people. Happy New Year again. Um, I'm going to speak on mandala, the mandala principle. So, the easiest way is just to uh, start with our uh, form, physical reality. So, this is you're in a mandala that we call a temple. I've made some changes since uh, I was here last. uh, the two gentlemen sitting up at the front were sitting in uh, Chinese um, regal uh, chairs. These should be more comfortable, are they? More comfy? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no reason to be painful, you know. So um, the Buddha said, "Okay, I, I'm not going to punish myself. I'm not going to indulge myself." So he, he sat very comfortably on a nice cushion. <clears throat> uh, then also, I, li- I like to see everybody, and it's, it's funny, I'm, mostly I can see everybody, I just can't see Sarah. So you, this, is, this is so typical, I call people out, and then, yeah. Um, they do this at the monastery. Yeah, thank you, that's good, so. <clears throat> So this is uh, temple practice. So, um, uh, but uh, there's nothing quite like this in um, in Asia traditionally. We're a blend of many things, still very traditional, um, but uh, innovative. So traditional um, seating arrangement is that you're. Um, people are in rows looking at each other, like on the cushions up front. Um, because uh, in India, uh, it's the same way in Japan too, uh, you, you like to see who you're debating with. So you're actually seeing, you're actually seeing each other. Um, uh, I know sometimes we're seeing the back of people, right? <laughs> but the idea is you're, you're seeing over to the other side. You're not just on your side, you're, you're seeing over to the other side. <clears throat> but to accommodate more people and to sit in chairs, we have to have it uh, this style, right? So we're sitting in chairs too, looking front like that. So it's a mixture, isn't it? Mm. Uh, also, uh, traditionally in Asia, uh, as in other parts, um, uh, male <laughs> gender would be on one side, female gender on the other side, correct? Mm-hmm. Separate, like that. So, pardon me? In Thailand, it's in different temples. Like yeah, it might even be different temples, yeah, Peter, so, so very like that. So, uh, one of the most char- characteristic uh, features of American Dharma that's uh, not absolutely traditionally is uh, we're, we're going to have a gender blend. It's, that's just going to happen, which is great. And then, of course, in a temple, uh, we have kids. 
a nice number, maybe 10, I don't know, that's huge, right? So uh, thank you to Sophie and Holly uh, for uh, doing Little Buddhas. So a temple must have children involved. Um, and that's actually uh, kind of traditional. So uh, in Asia, um, kids just show up. There's, there's no babysitters. They just come. And also uh, in the monastery, of course, there's adult services, but uh, their kids as young as like six or seven years old because they're going to school or coming to the Dharma school. But here, particularly the mandalas, we're a community temple. So we also are householders uh, that uh, have jobs and family, right? Or maybe retirement and trust funds, I don't know. But in any <laughs> case, we're involved in the community, right? So um, that, that is different than a monastery uh, or a retreat center or a cave. Right? So we're not cave yogis, right? Living in your apartment is not the cave. That's just living in your apartment. There's caves really a cave. And then we live in monasteries. These days, and we say monasteries for both male and female these days, actually. So a monastery. Uh, but we're, we're a temple. So it's really characterized by we, we have responsibilities outside of here. And we're part of the community. That's our mandala, right? So we're really very uh, interdependent. That's important. So if you're looking for a retreat center where you're quiet, no one bothers you, you don't have to interact with anybody at all, uh, that's called, or actually that's called cave. (laughs) (laughs) If you want to be in a larger retreat center with uh, other people uh, that still, ha- then you're on a schedule, right? Still. If you live in a monastery, then you're, you're living with a, a big schedule, and uh, everybody older than you tells you what to do. Yeah. This is the hardest thing for Americans <laughs> that they, they want to be yogis. And then sometimes they get, they decide they want to be a monk. You know, they just think, I really want to practice and lead a simple life. You can be a yogi, lead a simple life. You don't need to become a monastic. And you're going to make life worse for you if you do. If you don't understand one thing, when you go to a monastery, you're living with other people that you can't escape. (laughs) And everyone older than you will tell you what to do. This is a lot of Americans forget. They just tell you what to do. Maybe people that have been in the armed services do better. I don't know. So fortunately, I have actually a compliant side. <laughs> so I would just, OK, I'd just tell me what to do. Uh, but here in a temple, the mandala is um, we make suggestions and hope you do it. <laughs> because you can escape. <laughs> you can go home. Right? You can say, I'm out of job. Sorry. I'm not going to do it. Um, but uh, also, uh, in this temple, we, we have beginning, 
beginning people, maybe people who've never done any kind of practice or just exploring, which is totally cool. And then we have people that are really doing, uh, I would say, full tantric practice, very advanced practices. And um, then you have to do what you're told, plus show incredible initiative, right? That's difficult, right? That blend. So we have also a full range of practices. People come here and they have just uh, secular, non-religious -relig mindfulness meditation. And then we're also doing advanced uh, tantric practices. That's pretty unique, actually, to have full range. So that's another thing about the temple here. Uh, one of my big commitments is uh, that I believe that householders, to use that term, um, people with responsibilities, uh, with, with discipline and motivation, uh, can uh, do advanced practices, can do the retreats, can have the realizations like that, um, so that you don't have to um, necessarily leave family or go to India or something like that. That helps sometimes to go to India, but actually with enough discipline, um, you, you can do it. I, however, as a caveat, I don't know how you can do it without either getting up earlier or going to bed later. <laughs> and I don't know how you can do it uh, if we still have lots of distractions. I don't know how you're going to do it if you're drinking and drugging. I've never met anybody that could do it. So um, that you know, there's just so much, so much time in the day, right? So there are there there are you know space and time realities. So, uh, but my commitment here as a temple lama uh, is to still do what some people would call mahasiddha practice, really advanced practice, but it also takes uh, really dedication. And fortunately, uh, we do have uh, a number of those people that are doing it. It's really incredible. So when teachers come here who are all A-list teachers, they go, wow, you know, um, they're really, you're really doing it. Isn't that neat? So you can do this. <laughs> you can do this like that. So the mandala is a temple mandala. I'm trying to really define so we get that. Because um, people are disturbed sometimes when we're not a monastery. In other words, we're going to be talkative and there are going to be kids running around. They're, they're disturbed, you know, uh, that actually we're not also a perfect temple. <laughs> yeah, it's people. It's other people. So the practice we do here is primarily bodhisattva practice. Bodhisattva practice means that we're undertaking uh, a deep motivation to uh, wake up as much as we can in order to be, uh, free ourselves and free others. The bodhisattva vow, uh, the bodhicitta energy is you just can't, uh, you can't stand that people are suffering. It isn't just that you want to be a good person, or it isn't just that you go, oh well. It's that you actually have to do something. So it does result in uh, real c compassion and empathy and the desire to uh, do something for others and to do the discipline oneself. So we do bodhisattva practice here, which means that we must have uh, annoying people present. 
<laughs> so we must have that. Um, <laughs> I know I'm going over the basics, but you, this is New Year's, so I'm supposed to do that. So uh, if you're not hanging out with any annoying people, in other words, if you're not coming to temple or you don't have any annoying people at home <laughs> or like that, then I have to be your annoying person. Okay, because most people try to, on some level, of course, we all want comfort. So we, we all want to just make everything very smooth and lubricated and comfortable. Even when we say we want challenges, we want comfortable challenges. So yes, at, you know, I'll see if, you know, maybe I make a mistake, but sometimes it looks like we're just trying to like lubricate our whole lives, and I will, I will sometimes be that piece of sand in your pearl. So it's true, I do do that. Um, but if your life is really already uncomfortable, there's no need, right? Most of our lives, actually, if we're paying attention, uh, th there's no need to actually have any kind of challenge for me at all, right? There's enough going on, right? There's enough going on. And I'll just point out, well, isn't this enough to stimulate you? Isn't impermanence enough to practice? Isn't noticing other people's suffering enough to practice? Isn't this precious human birth an opportunity enough to practice, right? Isn't understanding karma enough to practice? So why, why do I have to, I don't need to push people more. So that's why, and this is important now, is like, uh, I'm not going to push people off the diving board. You know, a lot of times people, like, they want, they want me to kind of push them so they get some realization or they do more in their practice. That's your job, right? The Buddhas just teach. We, so the famous uh, poem by the Buddha was, we do not uh, heal by laying on of hands. We don't wash away sins with water. The Buddhas cannot transfer realizations. We just teach. Even, even surgeons, you know, have to like, you know, they're doing hand things, of course, but then, you know, if you don't, uh, you know, follow your regimen after surgery, then you're in trouble, right? So we have to like, at some point, most of uh, maybe the medical people here, we have a, a couple of nurses, a PA, physician, you, you, they still have to follow medical instruction, correct? You just can't, this magically, this, you know, it's not right. They have to follow, follow doctor's orders, correct? And nurses' orders. <laughs> I don't mess with nurses. I will give doctors for a time. I do not, that's my inner joke, because of course my <laughs> wife is a nurse, so I don't. So, <clears throat> but the Buddhas, just like medical personnel, we, we can help, but actually people have to learn how to take care of themselves. That's essential. Therapists do that too. We, we talk, you know, so we hope that through connecting through one's inherent intelligence, then people will be able to see the truth and work with themselves. We'll help you with services. I like being a social worker, but uh, we actually have to do it. So that's the neat part about a temple practice, is that we get instruction, but fundamentally, we're all doing our lives. Isn't that right? Yeah. So we don't need, uh, we don't need a teacher. We need a teacher that really teaches us how, how to uh, 
learn how to do things for ourselves and how to help others. But you don't need a teacher that, that, that will create too much, uh, a little pogue once in a while, but you don't want a teacher that pushes you over. People always wonder, like, how do I know, how do I know what a good teacher is? You know, a good teacher will spend lots of time teaching, but they're, they're not going to try to tip you over. I know it's sometimes, sometimes when I just nudge people, they go, you're tipping me over, and I go, okay. <laughs> but I really don't want to tip people over. So I want, I want people to kind of like, you know, take it from there, so to speak. So we have to sometimes say that, uh, you know, this teacher, this student, or this Sangha member is too, you know, trying to push people over the, uh, the ledge, right? So actually, this is a little political, maybe not not political, but you know. So I really respect uh, uh, you know, Venerable Pema Chodron, right? She she said, "I'm I'm out of Shambhala, I, I'm out, I'm out." Okay, we have to sometimes say that, you know, we have to do it. Uh, of course, still friends. I mean, you're out, and you say, I, you know, nothing's changed, though. Okay. So particularly in temple practice, you know, we have to, you know, care, you know, we have, you know, it's a caring situation and we have to be awake to uh, the fact that people have their own lives, right? Like that. So you don't need a teacher that, you know, just is always breaking precepts and always doing stuff. We don't need that. We don't need to, you don't need to have a wild, crazy life to have peak experiences, uh, to break through to another dimension. Anybody here from the 60s? <laughs> okay, I've tried it. It doesn't work. Okay, <laughs> so I, you know, I've done that. So I can say you don't need to have, you don't need to have like these uh, dangerous experiences. We don't need to be around dangerous people, do we? Yeah. So. It, it's not. It's not a problem. To, we should be comfortable, okay, enough that we stay healthy, and we can be inspired at the same time, right? So I want you all to stay healthy, so you can be of benefit to others. I, the first, pre, the precepts: not killing, not stealing, not lying, not sexual misconduct, not use of intoxicants, is so we don't harm ourselves. So first thing is always stop. Stop the self harm, right? But also, you know, we, we don't have to take teachings, you know, from, like, from a harming standpoint either. We don't have to do something that's irrational to go to a non-conceptual innate awareness, right? This is important, because the 60s thing is, if we do something crazy, uh, literally, then we're going to be closer to, uh, you know, non-dualistic blissful awareness. Anybody ever thought that? Okay, I used to think that, you know? Right. You don't have to. In fact, you, you'll get further away. So our, part of our mandala is actually, yes, actually we have to use our common sense. We're not throwing away our intellect. What we're doing in our study program, for example, and what I want everyone to read and be inquiring, is actually the problem is we're not using our intellect correctly. Using it correctly, understanding the limitations, is like learning how to use your nice 
you know, chef's knife that you got at Williams Sonoma, right? Anybody here pay like $200 for one of those knives, right? You know, like. <laughs> so you, you want to learn how to use it correctly. We don't, we don't throw it away. We're not turning it upside down and using the wrong end of knife. We're not cutting the tomato with the butter knife. So uh, some people here are really uh, engaged with the study program, and that's fantastic. That does not get in the way of non-dual, uh, direct, non-conceptual realization. So uh, as some people here know, like uh, the, the greatest teachers that I've met from Dujan Rinpoche to Chadgur Rinpoche and like Dalai Lama, they're all incredible scholars, right? And they're all real meditators. So part of the mandala here is that we do study. So um, please, if you're a student of mine, uh, fall in love with uh, study, right? Like that. The purpose of study actually isn't just, uh, it's not to make you smart. <laughs> so the innate awareness makes you smart, right? What's, traditionally, what's the point of study in the tradition? Yeah, we need to learn the method. We need to learn the technique. And the outcome is we become more gentle people. And uh, Tibetan, the Man Manjushri, the Buddha in the aspect of wisdom, uh, Jamyam is sweet-voiced one, sweet voice, right? So we're studying to have the sweet-voiced, right? So you don't have to, don't study to be smart study to have a sweet voice, okay? As a way of getting the sweet voice, another big part of uh, mandala here is singing. So that's why we do the prayers. I know we're saying kind of plain speech in English, but they actually have a tune to them. <coughs> uh, a number of years ago, uh, I spent some time with uh, Kempo Sotum Gatso, who is uh, a wonderful scholar and practitioner. And uh, he would have his students sing the songs of Milarepa. Milarepa is recognized by all the schools as really being a quintessential yogi. And most of his teachings he would sing like that. Um, and people in the West were kind of shocked when, um, <laughs> when Rinpoche would say, OK, well, um, what kind of songs do you guys know from your childhood? And we go, well, Mary had a little lamb. And then he would take, he would make us sing <laughs> Milarepa songs or Mary had a little lamb, right? <laughs> so uh, that's what we're trying to do in Kirtan. We're trying to bring the singing and the, uh, from all over the world and songs together. So uh, we... Uh, follow that tradition. It's in the Buddhist tradition. At first, the monks, to memorize the text, they'd hear the Buddha give a talk, and then they'd go back and they'd just repeat it, because everything was oral repetition. And uh, then sometimes they'd repeat them for uh, you know, the householder, the town, everybody. And uh, people came to the Buddha uh, and complained. The, the, the style of chanting they're doing is annoying and it's boring. <laughs> uh, in India now, uh, in, well in Tibet, but really in India, it's interesting. 
any, any householder, whether they're Buddhist or not, can complain about uh, the conduct of a monastic. They have to go to the abbot and complain, but they can, they can say, you know, like, we saw one of, this is real to stool stories, you know, we saw some of the monks from Sarajay, you know, annoying some of the women in the village. And then we'll be investigated. And what happens? They get booted. It's serious stuff. Because humiliate, you know, you get, you, you don't, so well, sorry, don't do it again. No, no, it's like, you're out. You want to get in trouble, go into town, you know, mess around, they will kick you out. And usually in Tibet, and now particularly for Tibetan refugees, the monastery, whose school is now accredited, the K through 12, if you get kicked out of school, you're in serious trouble. You're not going to get an education. So it's really disastrous. It's like, like needless to say, I never went into town. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I went into town. But <clears throat> so the the householder said, um, you know, it's it's really um, they're really boring. So the Buddha said, please take regular tunes and sing the sutras to and the prayers to the regular tunes. So that that's what. Uh, that's what we're trying to do in Kirtan, right? So we're just taking regular tunes, and Mike and I talk a lot, so, you know, it, it doesn't have to, you know, it can be any kind of tune. You know, so, so I pushed it one time with uh, Chuji Rinpoche, who was a student of Dujin Rinpoche, he said, well, can we do Guru Rinpoche did Mickey Mouse Club? <laughs> <laughs> He said, uh, "He said, I don't know. I'm going to have to hear it first. <laughs> yeah. So the singing uh, is very important because when you're singing, you're you have to concentrate the mind. So it's an easy. It's, that's why generally prayers are said ahead of time because it helps us bring the mind together to, somehow neurologically. Maybe we have some neurologists in the room. I don't know, but." It, it takes more brain power to sing than just yap. Is that right? That's what they say. You have to engage both sides. Of the what? What are they called? Both hemispheres. Hemispheres. Right. Right. So the there's something about singing and the tone and all that. So uh, you know, I'll be trying to uh, attend more kirtan. But even when I went, no one showed up anyway. Except I don't know few people, right? Connor, Patty. Who else was there? Yeah, so... We had a lot of folks last night. Good. You were there. I was. Nice. Exactly. Yeah, that's good. Okay, that's good. Yeah, we need testimonials. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so that really is temple practice, is singing, because it enables people from all different kinds of uh, ideas and Households and philosophies to come together and just sing. So it's a huge part of Dharma practice, and a lot of times people think, well, that's ritual, so that can't be the real thing. Well, it's the real thing. <laughs> so, uh, like that. So, uh, what else should we say, Mike? That's pretty good. Yeah.
Yeah, good. So uh, temple practice um, does entail meditation, which you mostly do at home, but we're going to do a little bit after the break. And I'll give some instruction this time. Uh, although I say, it doesn't matter what I say, you're going to do what you're going to do anyway, right? Because I'm not going to come around. There's no Dharma police. I don't know what you're doing. You know, but here in the temple, too, final is we do both what I call secular and sacred Dharma. I try not to call it religion because actually Buddhism isn't a religion except for the IRS. It must be, right? I say that. <laughs> so sacred means, for me, complete non-dual intuitive experience. And secular means we're still talking about I'm here and you're there. So it's not about the ritual or not. I'm going to give my little, I'm on a little rant, so then I'll finish. So sometimes people that uh, think, well, if you don't do a lot of ritual, then you're nicer or something, or less religious. Well, if you know that, you've never gone to a congregational Presbyterian service in New England, okay? Because there's not a lot of ritual, but it's religion, okay? So... Uh, it doesn't really matter whether you do a lot of bells or have a lot of uh, paintings or posters or it's very simple. For me, it's, it's the, there's two styles. One is complete uh, non-dual awareness, which is uh, absolute reality. And the other is, is relative reality or agreed upon reality where I'm here and you're there. That's this and this is that, you know, which we must have. Dharma is like a freeway or a nice road, and we've made an agreement that we want to both use it. Okay? So we, we were running into each other, like one person wanted to go to Reno, and the other person wanted to go to San Francisco, and we have just one road, and then we make these head-on collisions, right? That's called samsara, head-on collisions. Right? Or, or this kind of driving, right? <laughs> like on the causeway, you know, like that. So someone in their intelligence decided, we're going to create this convention called left and right. We're going to make this agreement called left and right. So you'll drive on the right, and I'll drive on the right, and then we can do this, right? See how to get it? So we can both use the same road but have different paths because that. But you need some intelligence to understand that when we're going to Reno, right's on one way, right's our right, but it's their left, and we're going to San Francisco, that's <laughs> the other way, right? So there can't be like absolute platonic right up here and left up here. It's relative, right? So conventional world, like secular, is like you're going to drive on the right and I'm going to drive on the left so we don't hit each other or we get where we're going, opposite paths even. Absolute world is you realize that that is brought about through convention, that we're completely free. We decided this is right and this is left. We made that agreement. God didn't make that agreement. It's that nobody outside, no gods, we just decided we're going to do 
right and left. We could switch it. We could drive on the left like in India. So understanding that it's empty of fixation but works as relative convention, then that mind that understands that is luminous and open and has no fixation at all. It's just completely luminous. So clear because we're not fixated. Isn't that nice? But yet, it still has the ability to say, I'm driving uh, in luminous awareness in America on the right-hand side of the road to Tahoe, right? So absolute and relative are are completely uh, together. Isn't that nice? It's so much easier than hitting each other, right? Or or saying, no, we have to have, you know, just one road. (laughs) So again, music is a wonderful way that we can uh, have uh, people singing different things, even even off tune and out out beat and off key. They can sing, right, Mike? Yeah, we'll still we'll keep you. All right. So we need. We'll let's take a ten minute break, uh, and then for people that want to come back and learn some meditation, we'll do a little guiding. All right. Deal. Okay. Take ten minutes. Twelve minutes. It does take time for, um, in the relative conventional world, for everyone <coughs> to use facilities. And the uh, nice thing about the relative conventional world is it can be improved. Um, however, to conventionally improve, like toilet facilities, um, we need $50,000. Because if you upgrade, um, we're kind of like grandfathered in, you know, so we don't have to meet ADA. But if we improve it, then you have to. So if, if we put in another stall like women's thing, then it would have to be ADA compliant, right? And then you have to get it inspected. But uh, in men's room too, you know, widening and then nothing and everything. Uh, and uh, I'm totally uh, open to that. Um, and I'm going to make some announcement after this too about sponsoring um, for Venerable Tipton children. But um, I'm also like open for sponsoring for ADA restrooms. We cover everything here, right? Enlightenment and restrooms, right? So, okay. So most important thing uh, in Buddhist meditation is actually uh, to be awake. That's why we say Buddha means awake. So we're present. We're not, we're not going to the past. We're not going to the future. And we're even investigating what, what the present is. But particularly, we're really making efforts to be in the room, not present somewhere else, <laughs> but really present in this room with our group. So in our style of meditation, uh, we keep our eyes open because we don't want to cut out the senses. I know that it's sometimes easier to concentrate because there's less um, sensory stimulation when our eyes are closed. But uh, real life is we need our eyes open. So we're training to be present with all our senses open. I suggest for most people that they follow their breath rhythm. We have our breath, hopefully, uh, and uh, it loves us. So follow it, right? 
We don't, we don't have to follow our thoughts. They'll still be there. So you don't have to note them. If you don't follow them, you don't have to let them go. That saves a lot of time. But if you do find yourself chasing them uh, and uh, hijacked, then just come back to your breathing, please, which is nicely, conveniently, always going to be in the present and available. But we need a particular, for temple practice, you need a particular motivation to say, I really want to be present with the people actually right in the room right now with you know, their funny clothes on and different colors and all their idiosyncrasies. Yeah, so we keep our eyes open. We're, we're with ourselves, but we're not going in and we're not going out. Uh, we're right in the middle. This has been a Lion's Roar Dharma Center recording. For more information, visit lionsroardharmacenter.org.